0: Today's global consumer is very clear in their demand for safe, affordable and sustainable protein to continue to meet these rising expectations requires both leadership and collaboration with food chain stakeholders, academia and the veterinary community. Merck Animal Health is pleased to amplify the voices of leaders throughout the protein supply chain here on this podcast, caring for animals and creating trust.
1: Hello, and thank you for joining us for Caring for Animals and Creating Trust. I'm Jane Dukes with the Merck Animal Health Veterinary and Consumer Affairs team, and I'll be hosting today's conversation. My guests today are Dr. Carrie Shaver, Professional Services Veterinarian at Merck Animal Health, and Dr. Lisa Lippman, one of New York City's premier veterinarians. She has appeared on television, makes celebrity house calls, and is one of the most followed veterinarians on social media. During the pandemic, many people adopted new pets, and many longtime pets enjoyed having the extra attention from their owners who were now working from the dining room table. Now as the COVID-19 vaccine rolls out, more and more people have started going back to the office and to school, and their pets may not be happy about it. Today we're focusing on separation anxiety. Those of you who have opened the front door to mayhem know what we're talking about. It's not just crying and whining, but it is destructive behavior that signals your pet's cry for help we developed a handy infographic to give pet owners tips to recognize separation anxiety, along with suggestions for helping your pet cope. And that's what we'll discuss today. As a pet parent of two Labrador retrievers myself, Henry and Poppy, I'm looking forward to learning from Dr. Shaver and Dr. Lipman about how pet parents can help their fur babies manage without them in the home 24-7. Carrie, Lisa, thank you for joining me for this episode of Caring for Animals and Creating Trust. Carrie, please tell our listeners a little bit about what you do for Merck Animal Health and your role as a professional services veterinarian.
2: Yes, thank you, Jane. I am a professional services veterinarian and I work with a group of territory managers to provide support to veterinarians all over North Carolina. And so my support comes in the form of providing medical education for veterinarians and their healthcare teams, as well as providing technical support for many of Merck Animal Health's products. And this is so fulfilling because I feel as though I am able to help veterinarians provide the best possible care to their patients and the people who care for them.
1: Thank you, Carrie. I really appreciate you joining us today. Lisa, you are one of the most well-known veterinarians in New York and on social media. Tell our listeners how you help your patients and the outreach you're able to do through social media. Yeah, thanks so much for
0: having me, Jane. So I've had a really multifaceted career, uh, mostly based in New York City. I did emergency veterinary medicine for a few years, general practice for a few years, and then started my own house call practice that really just sort of lent itself to um, the, the very interesting some celebrities uh, And I had a patient that went really viral. His name is, well, his name is Samson, but he's known as Cat Stradamus. He was the largest cat in New York. And we just went so viral together. Everybody wanted to know, is he healthy? And who better to take those questions than me? So we did everything from Good housekeeping, Harry Connick Jr., Dr. Oz, you name it, we were on all of it. And so it's allowed me to build this platform, uh, mostly through Instagram, that really helps me educate pet parents and get the word out about anything that I see in practice that you know my clients have questions about that I think is really important for owners to know. And so it's, it's really a privilege to have that platform and uh, to use it like I do.
1: That's great. Thank you, Lisa. I think we've all heard some of the horror stories about people leaving their pets when they go back to work and coming home to find pillow stuffing on the floor, broken window blinds, or a pet that won't leave the owner's side when they get home. What are some of the warning signs of pet separation anxiety? Yes. So some
0: of the warning signs that we talk about are just like you mentioned. So destructive behavior, unfortunately vocalizing. If you have a video camera on them, often you'll see panting, pacing, potentially urinating or defecating, particularly by the door because they're trying to get out to their owners. So really, you know, just destructive and anxiety-ridden behaviors like that.
1: And once a pet starts showing these anxious behaviors, how easy is it to correct? I know that I had a, a yellow lab some years ago that had separation anxiety and it was a huge hurdle for us
0: yeah i feel for you jane because i same thing i had a dog with separation anxiety who i adopted at six years old and um I just vowed that my next dog would not have the separation anxiety. It's really a huge quality of life issue, not only for the dog, but also for us, right? Like I didn't want to leave. It was just very difficult. And so once it starts, you know, it is obviously much harder to correct than preventing the behavior like much of veterinary medicine, but there are things that we can do. Um, There is professional help that we can enlist. And so hope is not lost, but of course, prevention is definitely key.
1: And how would you prevent it? What are the steps that that pet owners can take to prevent a pet developing separation anxiety?
0: Yeah, so uh, during the pandemic, you know, I was telling people, obviously, we weren't going many places, but even leaving them for short periods at a time. So I started with my dog just making her crate a safe space. I would drop some treats in her crate and walk away, let her find them, making sure that she knew that it was a safe, happy place to be. And uh, just leaving her for very short periods of time, even if that meant just stepping away from the crate, getting a drink and coming back, going to the mailbox and coming back. So leaving for very small, incremental periods of time, encouraging independent behavior. So if she was in a different room, I didn't always need her next to me. And, you know, also leaving them with very distracting things. So a very high value treat there was a study that showed that shelter dogs actually de-stressed with classical or reggae music. <laughs> so you can play some music for them, uh, leave them with a high value treat. And another big one is not to make a big deal out of hellos or goodbyes. So when I walk out the door, I throw her her high value treat and I walk out the door and that's it. And when I come home, I make sure all four paws are on the ground before I say hello, um, that she's nice and calm. So It's really just, you know, projecting your energy and working with them to prevent that behavior.
1: Right. Carrie, what are you hearing from Merck's veterinary clinic customers that they're hearing from pet owner clients?
2: So the clinics that I've been in recently, of course, and and we're all hearing it, the veterinarians, their hospitals are very, very busy. So many uh, pet owners are new pet owners. Um, So many of them have decided to purchase or adopt a pet during this pandemic, and every single one of the veterinarians and the technicians, receptionists that I've spoken with all have that concern about what's going to happen to these pets as people transition back into the workplace. Are they going to be coming in with these behavioral problems, or um, even worse, are they going to be relinquished to the shelter's?
1: Right, and I know Merck works also closely with the shelters. Is there a lot of concern that a lot of pets will be surrendered because the behavior becomes too much to manage? We were concerned about that.
2: And Merck Animal Health was actually part of a survey. Um, It was called Embracing Pet Care for Life. And they did find out that pet parents reported that taking care of the new pet, especially during a pandemic, may not be as simple as one would have initially thought. And so um, they did determine that 73% of these new pet parents were considering turning these pets back in after
1: they go back to work. And that's really terrible and something that we we don't want to see happen. And I'm also afraid that sometimes pet owners might feel embarrassed to talk to their veterinarian you know, to get help. So before surrendering a pet, Let's start with, with you, Lisa. What would you suggest that pet owners do? And then, Carrie, please chime in.
0: Yeah. So, you know, I, I think it, it depends on the reason, but certainly, separation anxiety is a big one. Like I said, it really affects your quality of life um, as well as the animals. And so, I think enlisting friends to help, you know, use online resources. So, for example, actually on my Instagram, I partnered with Merck Animal Health to create a pet parent guide that gives some resources about things that you can do. A lot of the things that I suggested and more about re-socializing your pet and um, preventing or helping to treat separation anxiety And, you know, if those suggestions, if you're having a hard time with those, like I said, enlisting the help of friends or professional dog sitters or dog walkers and enlisting the help of a trainer, I always say having a professional is so, so helpful, even if it's just one or two sessions, it can really make a
2: difference in your quality of life with your pet. And I would add, you know, I think now, um, especially during the pandemic, A lot of preventative care visits have declined. So although, as I mentioned earlier, these veterinarians are busier than ever, a lot of pet owners are not bringing their pets in for preventative care where some of these conversations about separation anxiety may come up. And as you mentioned, Jane, there are pet parents who may be embarrassed by this. And they shouldn't be, as we were just discussing earlier, we've all had pets with at least some degree of separation anxiety. So it even affects us veterinary professionals as well. And I think being able to have that open conversation with the veterinarian is very, very important to get these pets the help that they need.
1: That's great. Now that we've talked a little bit about um, about the signs of separation anxiety, let's really dig into what pet parents, you know, of dogs and cats can do to help their pet cope. So Carrie, what are the top three suggestions you have for dealing with separation anxiety in dogs and cats? And is it different for dog owners and cat owners?
2: Um, Gosh, so, you know, looking back, Again, I'm, I'm one of those, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. So if we could go ahead and start these puppies or new pets on the right track um, with those ideas that Dr. Lippman had um, from the beginning about crate training and, and spending time away, we probably wouldn't have to do any of these. But unfortunately, if these signs go on untreated, then we're going to have to to work on um, behavior modification, and again, that may depending on the situation, that may include supplements, medication. I'm a really big fan of behavior modification plans, and I'm sure Dr. Littman will elaborate on this. I, I am by no means a behaviorist, but spending 11 years in private practice, you definitely see all sorts of, of behavioral problems, and and sometimes I felt as if I was able to make an impact and save a lot of these pets from the shelters just by helping with these. You know, one thing uh, that I love to remind pet parents about are those those highly motivating treats. Uh, Sometimes I would say, make that crate feel like Disney World (laughs) for your pet. And so maybe that's a a treat that they only got during those stressful times. And and then number two, you start small. You know, if, if you've got a pet that has separation anxiety, they're barking uncontrollably, they're destroying things, it's probably not a good idea to leave them at home for eight hours the first try. I think those short little trips with the, with the highly motivating treats and, and then building on that from there. And again, not being afraid to reach out for help if those small, seemingly simple um, tasks are, are not going so well.
1: So Lisa, let's dig into behavior modification. What would a behavior modification plan look like? And and what do you suggest to your clients? Yeah, you know, I think, again, it
0: really depends on what the level of anxiety is with the pet. Um, So, I always think starting the conversation with your veterinarian is so smart. I often give my clients lots of, you know, favorite books or videos and resources to try to attempt it themselves if they want. But I remind them that I think training is a lot like training in the gym. You know, you have a spotter for a reason to make sure that everything goes right and you don't hurt yourself. There are so many things we can do with training that I think can backtrack us by accident. And so, again, I think using those resources, but also enlisting the help of professionals. So whether that be um, starting with your veterinarian, some suggestions, sometimes again, we talk about supplements or drugs, And we do that in conjunction with training. So, uh, enlisting the help again of a professional trainer. And beyond that, you know, there are dogs that are so severe. Sometimes we also talk about board certified veterinary behavior help. And so, these are veterinarians who have done extra training in just, you know, behavior. This is all they do all day long. Uh, They have drug combinations I could never dream of. But at the end of the day, it still comes down to the training, which is so, so, so important. And so having a good outline detail plan is going to really be the mainstay of treatment there.
1: Right. And, and let's talk a little bit about what that might look like. I know that when I had a yellow lab that had separation anxiety, I did things like practice leaving and, and coming back. I would get up, I would jingle my keys, I would walk into the garage, I would lift the garage door, close the garage door, and then come back in the house. And I did that for quite some time just to get him used to me coming and going. Yes,
0: exactly. So I tell people, if you recognize that your dog has certain triggers, like putting on your shoes, or like you said, jingling your keys, I would recommend doing that and not leaving. So making sure that they stop associating those noises with you leaving, um, giving them treats when they're calm and they behave well, making their crate a safe space, things like that are going to be so, so important. And then, like you said, I did the same exercises with my dog. I mean, it is so it is so slow, but at the same time, all you have to do is, you know, do it for five to 10 minutes every day. It doesn't have to be hours long every day, but what I would do, same thing. I would, um, you know, he would learn how to place in his bed or his crate, be calm, get treats for that. I would take one step back. I would take one step forward. I would take two steps back. I would take two steps forward. I would get to the point where I could put my hand on the door then give him a treat for remaining calm. I would open the door and then give him a treat for remaining calm, finally get out the door. And so it's a slow process because you don't wanna go backwards. But again, it only takes five to 10 minutes a day and it's it's so, so easy. So that's uh, exactly what I did with my own.
1: Right, and, and Carrie, can you talk to us about continuity? Because I know that I did all this and, and I finally got my dog to the point where I could leave You know, for a couple of hours and then I had a baby. And the new baby into the household disrupted everything and and we regressed. So talk a little bit about continuity and doing these things with your pets.
2: (laughs) Sure. And that seems to happen. You'll think you're right on the right track and you've got everything nipped in the bud and then life happens. These practices are absolutely um not just a, a one-time get it set and then you're fixed, similar to, to raising children, right? It's definitely a, a lifestyle change. And so I think when that happens and, and life happens, uh you just go back to the basics and and try to figure out, you know, what what are these triggers? What are the stressors for this particular pet? You know, is is the pet not getting the attention that it needs at this point? And I'm also a big fan of dog walkers. And I like to say it takes a village. And so all the help that we can get to, to get these pets what they need, uh, so that they don't feel stressed out. Um, I like to tell myself and I like to tell my pet parents that I work with this, you know, Fluffy doesn't want to be stressed out. She She's not being a bad girl, because she's just a bad girl. She, she really is struggling and, and having a hard time. And um, I think, again, going back to the importance of that conversation with your veterinarian and maybe even keeping a journal so you have these notes and, and you can kind of really tune in on, on what the triggers are to maybe minimize um,
1: setbacks. Right. And I, and I know we all humanize our pets, so hopefully we can relate to the stress and anxiety that our pets are feeling. How do you know if you're accidentally reinforcing a negative behavior instead of working to correct it, for example? My dogs follow me to the bathroom. Should I not be doing that?
2: You know, my dog also follows me to the bathroom. I just thought of that. So we we too uh, adopted a puppy during COVID. So I have Australian Shepherds, and if anyone knows anything about Australian Shepherds, they are super family dogs. They want nothing more than to be with their families, and and so my nine year old one. He's, he's got things figured out uh, because I was working away from the house his whole life and, and he's okay. The younger one um, that we adopted last year, I wanted to make sure that she didn't turn into a pet that was going to have some serious separation anxiety. And so I've worked very, very hard to spend time away from her. Um, that being said, both of them will follow me to the bathroom, but they, they don't have other signs of separation anxiety. So for my dogs, who I've done the hard work and and I've I've left them alone and done all all the things. So far, things are going okay. So I don't think if I shut the door and they weren't allowed in the bathroom that things would get bad. Now, that being said, if Jersey, the younger one, was going through a behavior modification program, then maybe I would practice that. Maybe if I had let her into the bathroom um, for several months then maybe I would give her a highly motivated treat outside the
1: door, go into the bathroom and then come right back out. Sure. Lisa, what about you? How would you say people negatively by accident reinforce that kind of behavior?
0: Yeah, I, I think that's exactly right. So um, not leaving them, you know, and again, as, as Dr. Carey mentioned, it really depends on the dog, but uh, there would be times where I realized my dog wasn't with me and it was my instinct to just call her <laughs> to be with me. But I realized, no, she's happy where she is. She's independent. This is a good thing. So as you mentioned, you know, being with them, even if it's in the house, so not never leaving them. I think that's the the biggest thing is really just never leaving them, even encouraging independence inside the house. It really is a big deal to know that they're comfortable away from you. We did a canine good citizen test. And part of the test is that you're able to walk away from your pet and they're allowed to wonder where you are. They're allowed to, you know, perk up and say, Hey, kind of where'd she go? But we don't want them to vocalize, right. Or tremble or pant or look, you know, very visibly distressed. And so Never leaving them, I think, is, is the number one biggest
1: thing, even for short periods of time. They need to be able to establish some independence, just like our our two legged children. So, what what would you say pet owners should be prepared for? Like, how long does this take? This counter conditioning training and behavior modification training. How long does it take? And, and eventually, do you consider a pet cured? I think um, you know, like Dr. Kerr said. I mean, it's
0: training is an everyday. Thing. Whether we realize it or not, we are training our pets. And so it really is an everyday thing. And I, I think once you get there, it doesn't take a while. Now, I don't really think about it. You know, we have a routine. I throw her her high value treat, I walk out the door. And that's really that. So I think as long as you're continually reinforcing those behaviors, you know, even again, during the quarantine, I can tell she's a little more anxious when I leave now, because I've been here so much. So now I am making a concerted effort again, to give her her independence back, encourage that alone time, uh, going to the mailbox, you know, short trips like that. So I think consistency is really key here.
1: All right. Well, let's talk a little bit now about the importance of your relationship with your veterinarian. We, we touched on it uh, a little in the beginning, but, you know, when I lived in a small town, my veterinarian knew my dogs, my name, it was my kid's soccer coach. Now I live in a larger city and, and developing that relationship with my veterinarian is a little more difficult. Carrie, how would you characterize the importance of that veterinarian relationship, particularly when dealing with a problem like separation anxiety?
2: Of course, you know, being a veterinarian, I I think it's so important and there's so many things that we as veterinarians have the opportunity to to talk about with with pet owners. And unfortunately, I think behavior sometimes um, gets overlooked. You know, we get to talk to them about looking for diseases and preventing diseases and vaccine protocols and of course, the normal behavior things, um, nutrition and, and housebreaking. And, and so um, a lot of times behavior problems won't present themselves until it's, it's much further advanced and therefore more difficult to, to fix. So yes, I think having that relationship, that comfortable relationship with your veterinarian, um, where it's a, a no judgment zone that you can freely um, voice your, your concerns. Pets are our pets and, and these behaviors are not always a result of, of a bad pet owner. Just sometimes it's a particular pet, a, a particular problem that that pet may have. And, and just add, as you mentioned, maybe some things that we do inadvertently um, encourage that behavior. I love that Merck Animal Health has some devices uh, that can help with this. Especially, we're in a pandemic here, and um, a lot of veterinary practices are are overbooked, and pet owners do struggle to to get appointments in for some of these wellness visits. And so, having access to some smart devices like the Sure Pet Care Sure Feeders and Falakwa Connects um, and the Animos that basically would allow them to to monitor, for example, with the feeders, you know, their cat's food and water intake throughout the day and behavior trackers that may uh, keep pet owners in on an, an issue that may be brewing.
1: Sure. Lisa, what is the one thing veterinarians would like pet parents to know about recognizing and managing separation anxiety?
0: I think that it's, it's really preventable that we should be working really hard, you know, in the beginning, you know, and, and I don't even want to say that really hard. But again, those five to 10 minutes a day can make all the difference. Being prepared, working with your veterinarian, not being afraid to broach these issues, we have seen and heard it all. So there really um, is no judgment there. We, we want to help as best as we can.
1: Awesome. Well, before we close, let's just go through, you know, a couple of symptoms of separation anxiety in dogs. And Lisa, if you could do that, and then tell me a couple ways that you would say pet owners could cope. And then Carrie, I'll have you do get. <laughs> yes.
0: Yeah, so um, separation anxiety in dogs, we often see again the the panting the pacing vocalizing destructive behavior like ruining things inside of the house urinating or defecating and again it really ranges the the gamut as far as like pretty mild to extremely severe where also they will self harm so if they're they're in a crate you know we'll see bloody noses or things like that and so things that pet parents can do to cope. Again, we talked a lot about prevention here and using professional help. And uh, I also want to mention that, you know, Merck Animal Health has put on this fantastic sweepstakes called the Bravo Buddy Sweepstakes, where all a pet parent needs to do is post a photo of their pet on the Instagram, talk a little bit about how their pets help them get through the pandemic, use the hashtag Bravo Buddy Sweepstakes, and then they'll be entered to win $2,500 worth of prizes that they can use towards this professional care. I just, I think it's such a phenomenal opportunity to really get your dog set off on on the right foot.
1: It is great. And Carrie, talk a little bit about separation anxiety in cats. What should people look for? And then how can they help their cat cope?
2: Yeah, sure. Um, Cats obviously are are not small dogs and their symptoms may uh, be a little differently. But the most common one that that I would get reported, and, and this is so frustrating for pet owners, is inappropriate urination. So finding urine on the floor, on vertical surfaces, on bags in the floor, just different places. And and that is so frustrating for pet owners and is absolutely one of the number one reasons that pet cats get turned uh, into the shelters, um, which is so sad. Vocalizing. um, I know I had a kitty that would vocalize in the middle of the night and uh, it, it was Similar to you, you know, after we had children, um, and so those those are a couple of the the common signs. Speaking about these uh, with your veterinarian, it is crucial. There are so many resources now, um, medications, special diets, even behavior modification plans um, for for cats as well. And again, you know, with the smart devices that can help pet owners um, be clued into just minor changes in uh, their drinking habits, um, for example, or or feeding habits. You know, maybe they um, used to um, eat. Several times a day, and then maybe they've had a change to hiding most of the day and and only coming out maybe once or or twice to eat. Could clue a pet owner in that there's something going on.
1: All right. Before we close, Lisa, I just have to ask you: What are some of the most common questions you get on social media about anything? <laughs>
0: Um, I would say you know, separation anxiety now, I mean we're I'm definitely seeing it more for sure. Other than that, allergies are a big one. It can always be somewhat seasonal, but allergies, food, that's a very popular topic. I would say those are probably the top three right now.
1: All right, well, thank you. Lisa and Carrie, thank you for joining me today on our podcast, Caring for Animals and Creating Trust as we help pet parents recognize and address their pets separation anxiety. You can find out more about managing separation anxiety through some tools we have posted on our website, and you can also learn more about what the Veterinary and Consumer Affairs team is working on. Links will be included in the notes of this podcast. Until next time, thanks for listening, and please take care of your pets, yourselves, your family, and friends, and be sure to join us for our next podcast for National Wellness Month.